0: Right. Psalm 27. I, choose, I chose this text because it was a passage that my dad memorized, and I can picture him quoting it. We had a little uh, Ford Granada station wagon with Mercedes hubcaps, Mercedes hood emblem. I don't know if I, I think I've told you that. That's not in the notes, so I better stop. Um, on, on the steering wheel, he would put three by five cards. There's a little slot, and he could stick them right there. Um, This is in the age of, you know, it was hands-free, and it was a three-by-five card, and he would use it to memorize on his drive from Rancho Mirage, uh, Palm Desert, to Palm Springs, and uh, I got to ride with him one morning a week, and I saw him memorize that, and then he would often quote it to us when his heart was fearful and And so I thought, you know, in honor of him and the condition that he's in, getting close to seeing the Lord, and then I later memorized it and quote it to myself often, and I hope it'll be something that you'll go back to, and maybe an assignment, if you don't have a Bible passage you're memorizing right now, this would be a great one, Psalm 27. So... What's interesting though is I had not planned it to be a Christmas message, but then as I got going it was like, wow, this would be a really helpful message at Christmas. And so I'm going to preach to you a Christmas message from Psalm 27. And I think it'll help our church focus our eyes on Jesus better as a result. So you know I think the two most obvious aspects of Christmas are lights and gifts. Now I haven't done any research, I don't know what the statistics, the statistics would say, but, um, you know, even Christmas trees aren't very nice without lights, and though the nativity scene should be the most prominent thing at Christmas, I don't think I can say that, so I'm going to just make the most of the fact that I think that the most prominent thing that you see at Christmas time are lights and gifts. And we drive around, there's so many houses decorated with lights, uh, the shopping centers, are decorated with these lights and gifts, begging us to buy more gifts. And, and the Christmas lights um, are even around the world. Some of you may see that as you look at social media. My, my sister lives outside of Paris, France. And she sent a little video this week of she and her husband going on their annual trip to see the lights in Paris. And the funny, she sent it from a Krispy Kreme that had just opened in Paris. She says it's one of only two in the world. I haven't researched that, but that's what I remember her saying. And then... In the Philippines, where half of our, almost half of our laboratory, dental laboratory staff lives, they start decorating for Christmas in September, and the Christmas music is going for a long time, and so lights, um, gifts—they're a big thing in our society now. You know, if you ask a kid what's the most exciting thing about Christmas, I think it's true that whether they're redeemed, regenerate, or unregenerate, they would say, gifts! Oh yes, Jesus' birth. But, but what am I getting? What are, you, what are you getting me? So now, I know there's a, a lot of clutter, there's a lot of commercialism and corruption at Christmas, yet we still have a strong visual witness to Jesus as the light and gift of God to the world. So Christmas is a beautiful time of year. It's also a difficult time time of year everyone in this fallen world has a mix of joy and sadness health and sickness hope and depression courage and fear on one hand we live in a world of darkness and in need of salvation from many fears on the other hand we live in a world where Jesus has come and brought life and light and salvation we all need help looking to God alone as salvation and waiting for his final deliverance So it really is a sweet blessing that Christmas, most of the world hangs up lights and chooses to give gifts out of love, which remind us to know the truth that God has come to save us. These lights and gifts remind us that the star that shined that holy night shone the way to Jesus in Bethlehem. And those who followed the light were the wise men who gave gifts to the baby Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation. God is salvation. Who... Come to be with us, Emmanuel, the greatest gift of all. So now let's look at our text, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army, verse three, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So as you see the lights and gifts around you this Christmas, I want to exhort you to gaze upon Jesus, the true light and gift of Christmas. He is our light and salvation. Jesus is God come in the flesh to, give us, to save us from sin, death, and fear. He's given to us to reconcile to God and to restore us to God's family. He gives us eternal life that begins now. So we live in a world of darkness, fear, trouble, and enemies, but Jesus shines as the light of salvation into this darkness. He shines away the fear, the trouble, and enemies, illuminating our darkness. So let's, I, I just want to, you to listen, or if you have a handout, you can read along. Matthew, Matthew, um, there are several passages that I have that demonstrate that Jesus is the light. Matthew 4, verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Isaiah chapter 60, arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. All nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. For the people of God, Jesus is light. He's wonderful. He's salvation from sadness, sickness, and death. But for people who are separated from God, they, fears, they face a very different outcome. The book of Amos, uh, chapter 5, verse 20 says, Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, gloom with no brightness in it? In Matthew 8 verse 12, those who don't believe in Jesus will be thrown into outer darkness and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a horrible thought. The door between heaven and hell, happiness and torment is Jesus. John chapter 12 verse 35, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And then 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God for we proclaim not ourselves but Jesus Christ as lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake for god who said let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ and the last one first john verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 5 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that god is light And in him is no darkness at all. Now if we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing us from sin. A lot of passages, but it's clear from the Bible and Psalm 27 that Jesus is the light and the gift of God to us this Christmas. So what I'm going to do with you this morning is to unwrap a whole pile of gifts given to us by God in Jesus, the greatest gift. I've listed 11, I know that's a lot, 11 gifts in Psalm 27 that God has wrapped up for us in Jesus, the light and life or gift of Christmas. So number one, in Jesus we are given security. Look at verse one again, the Lord is my light and salvation Whom shall I fear? The answer is no one. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. I was in verse 5 if you didn't notice. The word salvation is the word used for deliverance and rescue as well as welfare and safety. Salvation is both from something and to something. A stronghold is a fortress that gives protection from attack and it gives refuge to run into it. A shelter is, a, is like a hut or a thicket or a lair, a place of security from exposure David is likely thinking about some specific situation in his life, but we're really not told which one it is, so I'm not going to spend time conjecturing. But the application is clearly broader than the specific incidents he's facing. It, It includes the spiritual salvation that we have from God in Christ. So we read about our security as believers in Jesus as Savior. I read about that in the introduction The book of Colossians says that we were rescued out of the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of Satan, and transferred into the kingdom of God. Jesus is said to be our stronghold. He's the place of refuge and rest. He's the protection. We live there in him with safety. He defends us against attacks from the world, the devil, and our flesh. Jesus is our light that dispels the darkness. He drives out fear. You think of children... And I've been there. So many children are scared of the dark. But sometimes all it takes is for them to overcome their fears to turn on the light. Or at least have a light on somewhere in their room or nearby. The light is their security in that sense. You think of evildoers who commit their evil deeds often in the dark. They don't want to be seen or found out. And we have many of us have in our homes we have security systems Um, You think of homeowners who put floodlights out on a timer or a sensor so that if the evildoers come, the light will go on and hopefully scare them away. Psalm 27 says that the Lord is our light and our salvation. He's our security. So many people, they talk, they work, and they plan for financial security. And I think you know this, but there really isn't any such thing as financial security Even with wise financial stewardship, which is very good, as a goal, and if God gives you grace to not only be a good financial steward, but be able to reserve some money for a rainy day or a difficult time, that's good. But ultimately, the Lord is our security, not money. You think of America, it's often been a stronghold of human security because it has a constitutional foundation that supports a defense of freedom and righteousness, And as you know, that's under serious threat, and in some ways, it's already gone. But the Lord is our security, not America. We should keep praying for God to bless America, for God to change America, and we should keep voting for good government, keep supporting those who promote such government. And and some Christians really should run for office on every level of government. But our real security is in the Lord So with the Lord as our salvation, we can look around at the people and things that scare us and ask, wait, who do I have to fear? And we answer ourselves based on scripture, no one, nothing do I fear because I have the Lord as my light and my salvation. He is my security. I will not be afraid. That's number one, security. The next gift, in Jesus, we're given confidence. Really, goes hand in hand it says in verse 3 though an army encamp against me my heart shall not fear though war arise against me yet I will be confident he will lift me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies around me confident is the word most often translated trust it refers to a security from fear because I trust in God and you can see that in the psalm, David will have this confidence in the face of an army in camp against him. Enemies all around him during a war, and he is confident. He says that God will lift him high up on a rock above his enemies, a place that's it's so much better to be confident when they can't get to you. It reminds me of standing on a rock plateau with Brandon and Alicia last year where uh, it's, it's the Masada it's oh, hundreds of feet above the ground and you would look down and you could see where the Roman encampments were because they had surrounded them with rocks. And you're looking down at that, and, um, but even that was not safe from the 15,000 Romans that were around those thousand Jews up on that rock because they found a way to make a ramp and get up into that city. But by the time they got there, there were no Jews to kill because they had committed suicide rather than surrender. Here, David isn't trusting in a rock or a physical fortress. Instead, he's trusting in the all-powerful God who is his refuge. So he's confident. And we can be confident when we trust God who's over all, who's greater than all, and who has saved and made us secure in Jesus. We can have a confident heart. Our hearts don't need to fear. David is determined. He has decided, my heart shall not fear. It's this beautiful combination of truth and trust. i determination with the troubles that you face in life how do you feel we can feel alone we can feel like someone who's outside the wall of the fortress down on the bottom with those roman soldiers and i'll never beat them back up into the refuge you can feel that way We all do at times, but the Bible says that we are with the Lord high on a rock. We're securely with him. He says he won't leave us or forsake us. We can confidently say that the Lord is our helper, confidently say. Since the Lord is our light and salvation, we must choose to trust him. So say to your heart, do not fear. I will be confident in Christ. That's number two. So, We've opened these gifts of security and confidence, and now number three, in Jesus, we're given a quest. We don't use that word very often. A quest. One thing I have asked of the Lord, verse four, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The idea... And the psalm is seeking to discover and find something. And the object is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And then the activity, once he gets there, is to gaze and to inquire, which is to examine, inspect, and to reflect on. The focus of that examination and reflection is the Lord's beauty, which he refers to, or it refers to his kindness, his pleasantness, or his favor. I call this gift a quest Because a quest is a long search for something that's difficult to find or or an attempt to achieve something that's difficult. You know, it's difficult to have your heart really long for what David describes as his longing, this one thing I've desired. And so I called it a quest. I think it fits. It's both this seeking, I will seek after it. There's this need to build stamina and an appetite for the things of God. It's a personal seeking, but there's also in this text a corporate seeking, a corporate worship on earth as it is in heaven. And it takes prayer, it takes commitment, it takes stamina to keep seeking the Lord, to not forsake him, to not forsake the gathering together with his people, to worship and disciple one another. So this quest is very similar to our church mission statement Um, To know God's unique greatness, value it above everything else, and then live to make it known to others. That's what we do. The the temple, the house of God, the people of God are called the temple of God, the house of God. This is where we come to hear preaching, to to gaze on the word of God and then go do it. We're sitting here, you're sitting here hearing the word of God, and we're going to go by God's grace do it. This is part of what he's saying, I long to do more of. So are you on the quest... Are you on this quest? Are you on this quest with us as the church? It's actually a gift from God to give you this mission, really to command this, to instruct this, because he knows it is so good for us. It is good for us to worship and serve him, to enjoy him forever. Remember the Westminster Confession of Faith? Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever forever and we do that individually and corporately and that's part of what David's saying he's longing for and so we need to be on this quest so every one of these gifts could like be its own sermon right but like at Christmas you know when you've got a bunch of gifts um, you got to keep going you know sometimes you wonder as parents why did we even buy the gift they'd be happy with the box and then we got to remind them, hey, there's another one. And, oh, wait, there's another one. But i got to do that or we're in trouble. So let's go to the next one. Number four, in Jesus, we are given joy. That's the fourth gift. Verse six, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. I'll make melody to the Lord. And this fits with the previous gift of a quest to dwell with God, to gaze on his beauty and inquire in his temple, because the shouts of joy are happening where? Where does it say? It's in the tent, the tabernacle or house of God. So, David, instead of being afraid, is filled with joy because he's enjoying being with the Lord. He's enjoying dwelling in his tabernacle, in his temple, in his house. It's a joy of secure and confidence because he's arrived at that major achievement, that great desire. It's this significant place of happiness and worship. He has the thing he sought, and so he's joyful. Now, I also think it's worth considering if you look at the verse, the psalm doesn't exactly say that he's feeling joyful before he chooses to offer these sacrifices and sing with joy. Now, the context, I think, makes it fairly clear that he is likely feeling joyful for having rejected fear and worshiping the Lord. But I do think it's clear that it's also a choice because he says, I will offer. Worship with joy is a choice. He's making this choice to overcome fear and express his confidence in the Lord. And I think that would fit with the New Testament teaching in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. And again I say rejoice. And then verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so in the psalm and in our own hearts, there's likely both this feeling of joy and a choice to be joyful in the face of fear. And often we go back and forth. That's part of how we're wired in this fallen world. You know, if you think about musicians, you're at this point where I'm filled with joy. I'm gonna sing and, and offer sacrifices to the Lord with joy. So you pick up your instrument and you play it and you rejoice before the Lord. And you sing, if you can sing. Or if nobody's listening, you can sing. So the rest of us, the rest of us, when we express our joy and sing, um, we probably find our favorite app and play it, and if possible, with really nice speakers and headphones. And we rejoice. That's one way to be joyful in the Lord. Um, This gift of the Lord is to rejoice, though, whether we feel like it or not. So both when you're feeling joyful Sing and make music. When you're not, go sing and make music so that you can feel joyful. Offer a sacrifice to God of time, of a good attitude, the sacrifice of hard work, the sacrifice of love for others, and do it with joy. Sing and make melody to God. It will be for your good and for his glory and the good of all those you sacrifice for. And it's true that often making the sacrifice to come and worship with God's people and to to put, no matter how you're feeling, Put your heart into it, and you will experience more joy than you would have if you had stayed home and stayed on your own. Now, verse 7 makes a change in language and an approach. David turns from his confident expressions of joy, his commitment um, in not being afraid, and the Lord is my light and salvation, and now he begins to plead with the Lord. And so, you know, like us, David might be struck all of a sudden with this sense of need you know he's rejoicing I'm gonna reject fear I'm doing great and all of a sudden you remember something and you become fearful or you remember someone or you see someone and all of a sudden you're fearful so what do you do like David cry out to God and so number five uh, this gift that we see in David's prayer is in Jesus we are given help we're given help verses seven through nine so here's David hear O Lord when I cry aloud be gracious to me and answer me You said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, I I do seek. Hide not your face from me, Lord. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation. The word cry aloud, it's pretty obvious. It's not a silent prayer, but a verbal calling out for God's help. He's saying, be gracious to me. Show favor, mercy, compassion. And seek my face is is a common Old Testament expression. If you think about Solomon when he built the temple and said, Oh Lord, when we come and use this temple and pray to you, please hear us. And God says to him right after that, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. David says, don't hide yourself from me. And this appears a number of times in David's prayers. Psalm 102, verse 2. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. And then forsake me not. Is a, it's a real fear that we experience. And God answers that. In Joshua 1, 5, he told his people, and then that's quoted in Hebrews 13, verse 5. I will never leave you. Nor forsake you, so that we can confidently say from Psalm 27, Psalm 118, "The Lord is my helper. I won't fear what man can do to me. You who have been my help." This is a repeated expression of need and of trust. Psalm 38:22, "Make haste to help me. O Lord, my salvation." Psalm 46 verse 1. "God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble so david feels that fear of neglect oh no what if god forgets me he's afraid of being forsaken instead of being helped but then he reminds himself that god is his savior that god has been he will be he is his helper and so god may delay as evidenced in david often praying remember that phrase how long O lord how long will you forget me forever he says. And we feel like he's turned his face. But we have the assurance that in Christ, he does hear us. He will help us. And he'll do it at the precise time and in the precise way that is best. And it's according to his perfect plan. That takes faith to believe. But the Bible says it's true. We've experienced it some ourselves in the past. And we can trust him for the future. Um, You know what it's like you know, to need to get a hold of someone or really want to get a hold of someone and they don't maybe reply to your text or answer your call even after you've waited a long time. And it's especially hard if somehow we hear or find out that they're actually refusing, ignoring, rejecting our call. They're not answering us. That's a horrible feeling. Now, I also hope you know what it's like To have someone that you can totally rely upon to be available for you, to answer as, as soon as they can or as soon as they believe it's best for you. David prays to God like he has this direct line to God and knows for certain that he sees what I'm going through, he hears what I'm saying, and he's gonna respond at just the right moment with just the right help. But he also is very free to remind God, um, hey, uh, don't forget me, Uh, don't take too long, don't forsake me. I just love that sense of realness. It really is that way, though, that God does hear you, he does care, and he will answer and help. And so we need to trust him. So learning to pray is a powerful tool in our relationship with God. Learning to pray out loud to God is asking him to be merciful. Another evidence, too, that we're talking about corporate prayer. You do this yourself. I've done it in the car and the closet and all sorts of places. But we do it also together with God's people out loud, asking him to be merciful. Don't, don't give me what I deserve, Lord, and then be gracious to me. Would you please give me what I don't deserve, Pray with faith that he will help you in the best way at the right time as you confidently trust in him. Okay, so God's help is a great gift for us in Jesus. That was number five. Now we have number six. In Jesus, we are given acceptance. And again, these connect. Hide not your face from me, verse nine. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. Oh, God of my salvation, for my father and mother have forsaken me and i there are some translations that even if my father and mother forsake me the lord will take me up or take me in if you're one of those children who's had a parent move out i think you know what david's concerned about a spouse who's been forsaken by the heart or the actions of their spouse Those questions that come up then, what's wrong with me? Oh no, why why would you leave or forsake me? Those are deeply painful feelings that last a lifetime. Being turned away in anger, forsaken or cast off is a deeply painful experience. Many of us are blessed to never have really gone through that but there are many here also who have experienced exactly that. But think of Jesus and what he cried out from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the most painful reality in the universe that's happening in in Jesus' experience. God forsaken of God for the salvation of sinners so we don't have to be forsaken. And in complete contrast, think of what Jesus then said to his disciples as he's ascending back into heaven, kind of blowing their minds, right? He's going away and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He sends his spirit. Even before he died in John 14, 3, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's why he's going, and I will come again, and I'll receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also And then I've quoted this a few times. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so with that assurance of acceptance, that God will accept us, we should express our fears and feelings to him. Uh, Fears and feelings of loneliness, of rejection, of being forsaken by others. Even those you most want acceptance from may reject you. But even in expressing our feels and feelings, we must believe that even if your father and mother, wife, husband, children do not accept you, Jesus is the family and father who will always be there for you and give you everything you need for life and godliness. It may not feel as real as family or friends accepting you, but it is the most real acceptance in all the universe. And it lasts the longest, and it is the strongest. Come and see, cry out, find out. It may take time, but if you persist in seeking to know and to follow him, you will find love, welcome, and help that is eternally satisfying. Okay, that was another gift, acceptance. A lot of good ones. Uh, There's another one. Um, Number seven, in Jesus we're given guidance. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Teach me is this ongoing instruction so that we know more and more of what God's ways are and can apply them to life. Um, The level path, I don't think, is David requesting an easy life. If so, it wouldn't make a lot of sense given his past or his future. He's asking, though, for a life that doesn't have the kind of hills, valleys, potholes and problems that would give the enemy an advantage he wants to walk in god's way on a path that gives him the best chance to defeat his enemies and this reminds me of of matthew 6 when jesus taught his disciples to pray please don't lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil i think it's what hebrews 12 13 talks about make straight paths for your feet So that that which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And that's in the context of running the Christian race. It's in the context of laying aside sin. And anything that would tear tear me down, would get in the way, would cause me to not be able to run with endurance the race that is set before me. uh, Rooting out bitterness that might grow in the path and trip you up. Um, The Christian classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, It alludes to this when it describes the need for Christian and hopeful to not go into bypass meadow because that's where they experienced the giant despair. All through the book, it's talking about stay on the path, stay on the way to the celestial city. Don't get off the path. So we're praying not for an easy way, but for the right way of victorious living. God teaches us his way and levels our path through what? He does it through his word, through reading the word, through hearing the word preached. He does it through what we call the means of grace. That's one of them, and prayer, and gathering together with God's people. He he does it through memorizing his word, thinking about it, and then obeying it. So daily feeding on God's word, asking God to instruct you with this idea of teach me. The Holy Spirit being our teacher through what we're reading, what we're thinking, what we're hearing, what the pastors and teachers in your church are sharing with you. And so it's good and it's right to minimize the difficulties in your life that would cause you to stumble or fall and have the enemies take advantage of you. So the best way to have God guide you in life. We're talking about his guidance and his way is to stay on the path of his clearly revealed will. And I put this little section on your notes because I wanted you to carry it away with you. If you think of Romans 6, which says to walk in your newness of life, Ephesians 5, or actually Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit, be putting that on letting the Spirit do that in you. Matthew 28, going into all the world preaching the good news of Jesus. Ephesians 4, do it with your local church. Galatians 2.20, it's based on who God is making you to be in Christ as you die to yourself. That will be a level way. That's God's way, even though it's a path of death to self, it is difficult. But it is the best way. It's the way of light and salvation. And again, I say to you, prove him, and you'll see that it's so. All right, seven gifts we've opened. Number eight, in Jesus, you've been given or are given vindication. Verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries for they're false witnesses. They've risen against me, and they breathe out violence. David prays, Lord, please do not surrender me over to the will of my adversaries. They're not speaking the truth. They're lying about me. It's a false accusation, and those hurt. Those are angering or upsetting. Rather, though, Lord, give me up to your will, your path, your way. You're my light and my salvation, so I'm not gonna be afraid of them. But you, I do fear, Lord, that you could give me over to my adversaries, and I desperately don't want that. So as we saw earlier, once again, Jesus, do you realize this, endured the very things David asked not to have to endure. Matthew 26, 59, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. And they found it. And they gave him over to a Roman crucifixion. If you think of Aslan in the story of Narnia, I think the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is one of those classic Christmas movies, though it works all year long, Um, when Aslan went to be sacrificed by the witch on that altar in the place of Edmund, that pictures what Jesus did when he faced the enemy of our souls, Satan, and all his demons, and he vindicated us before them by his death, burial, and resurrection. David's prayer can be eternally, spiritually true for us because Jesus took the false accusation. He gave up his body for punishment, for violence, instead of us. So God does not give us over to the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of us, because Jesus took our blame. He bore our guilt. No matter what false or true accusations or difficulties we face in this life, we have eternal vindication that is far more important. And even in this life, God does have a way of vindicating his own. Ask him for vindication and trust him and do what is best. Stay on his path. Okay, number nine. Verse 13. In Jesus, we are given good. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David is stating something by faith that he hasn't fully experienced. He is believing, it says, and his belief is about the future. I shall look. And it's about the goodness of the Lord in a place he calls the land of the living. This land and full goodness hasn't arrived yet, but he knows it's coming, and he's asking for it. And for us, the goodness of the Lord has come in Jesus, and yet there's still future good to come. The land of the living or heaven has, is yet to come, where the completeness of God's goodness will be ours. But God is still good now to his people, no matter what happens. And I think the best illustration of this good gift for us in Jesus is in Romans 8. So if you would, look at your handout or turn there in your Bible. I just want to remind you of what the Bible says about God's goodness, what good he is doing. Romans 8, very familiar, verse 29 or 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In verse 31, what, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I think my illustration holds up in terms of Jesus being our gift and giving us all these things. And so if God gave him up, will he not freely give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who's at the right hand of God. Who's indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And those are all real and they're really horrible. But as it is written, for your sakes, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That is a horrible waiting place with the sheep. Getting ready to be slaughtered, especially if you know what's coming. But even in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall I fear? This is good. This is the definition of goodness. I believe I will look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What more can he say to help us choose to overcome fear and face our trials with the assurance that he's with us than he said in Romans 8? So no wonder the next verse tells us to wait for the Lord He is working all things together for good. So number 10, in Jesus, we're given hope. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This idea of waiting is is expecting. It's looking for something that you know is going to come. Last Sunday morning before the worship service, there was that psalm that talked about watchmen waiting for the morning. More than that. You know, you expect that the dawn is going to rise, that the sun is going to rise, and so we're going to trust God. This is a confident expectation. We've said this many times. This is Bible hope. Jesus, the Savior from sin and death, has come. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. And because he's come, he will come again as ruler to make all things right. So talk to yourself like David did. Choose to say, okay, it's really hard right now. This is scary. There are enemies all around me. Yet I will wait for the Lord. Come on. Be strong. Take courage. Wait for the Lord. He is working. He will make all things right. He's coming. It may not be now or in all the ways that you want it. But you will have enough on earth to wait and trust. And and you will have even more than you could ever dream of in eternity. And so hope in him. And now finally, number 11. In Jesus we are given courage. Be strong and let your heart take courage. The the word be strong has the idea of growing in strength to keep hold of something. Courage is is really just another word for, for being strong. These words often go together in scripture. Consider Deuteronomy 31 verse six. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. First Chronicles 28, 20. Then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God, even my God, he's with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's hard to wait. It's hard to face your fears and overcome them. It's hard to feel forsaken, to be falsely accused. You need strength and courage. So keep hold of these truths from God and grow strong. It's kind of like weight training. You have to exercise your muscles with skill and consistency to really grow strong. We need to exercise our faith and lift the weight of fearlessness because of God's gift to us in Jesus. We need to hope in the Lord as our salvation. Of course it's hard and it's scary. That's why we need strength and courage. But the Lord is our light and our salvation, including all these gifts. Um, On Christmas Day in our home, after we stop opening the gifts and cleaning up the wrappings, each person makes a, a neat pile or display of their gifts and takes a picture with them. Some years there's a lot. It's kind of embarrassing. Other years there are a few. Kids don't think it's embarrassing. Parents sometimes think, wow, what did we do? But, but regardless, they're worth remembering and thanking those who gave them to us. This morning, we opened 11 gifts from God in Jesus that were stacked up for us under the tree of Psalm 27. So now that they're all open, let's lay out the gifts and take a picture with them. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have security, confidence, and a quest In Jesus, we have joy, help, acceptance, guidance, vindication, goodness, hope, and courage. What a haul. It's a lot of stuff. And like Christmas gifts, we didn't earn these. They are by the grace of God to us, undeserved by us. But they're so amazingly important to us. We should take them to our room and treasure them, go over them, use them, put them in special places, And say thank you more than once to the person who got them for us. Some Christmases you get so many gifts though you have trouble remembering what you got. But there's usually that one item, maybe two, that you needed or wanted so much it kind of makes your whole Christmas. So after covering 11 gifts from the Lord, our light, you probably have trouble remembering all of them. Even right now with the handout in your hands. But there's one that's maybe two that have really hit home for you and the circumstances that you face, the fears that you have, the hope that you need. What is it? Take a moment, focus on that one, maybe two of those things given you to in Jesus, uh, given you in Jesus. It's taught in Psalm 27, and and then after just a, a few moments of reflection, I'm gonna have the guys play a Christmas hymn. Um, it's a video on the screen that'll highlight the reminder of waiting on the Lord. God's timing is perfect. He's accomplishing his purposes and so wait on him. Take courage. No, he came and he'll come. Trust him.